This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From the kids' table at our socially distant Thanksgiving dinner, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, part two of our interview with the Bot Whisperer, Pete Abramson. We'll continue our new bot guide with five more bots, Pain Train, Perfect Phoenix, Rampage, Rusty, and Slamo. Chris, I thought you were going to turn that into an ASMR podcast for a second. The Bot Whisperer. <laughs> we'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Appreciate your support. <laughs> Before we get into this week's news, our own Kyle Kroos served as this month's announcer at Norwalk Havoc. We want to extend congratulations to Mad Catter team member Calvin Eba, who flew cross-country and drove his Beetleweight Lynx to victory, winning $1,000, a golden dumpster, and presumably an invitation to the Norwalk Havoc Championship, where the winner will take home $10,000. Lynx is a punishing little Beetleweight, which took home first place earlier this month at the November Necrosis Competition in Southern California. Kyle, I want to turn it over to you. I would love to hear your experience chronologically. Uh, <laughs> tell us all about this very long day that you had announcing and judging at Norwalk Havoc. Uh, it was intense, man. I drove out. Um, I left my house at like 4.30 in the morning and drove all the way to um, Norwalk. I got there a little after 8. And um, they did a great job. They set up outdoor pits. Um, the tables were all very far away from each other. Everybody had their own little tents. Everybody had their own lighting. Everybody had their own little heater. Um, not that they needed it. The weather was absolutely gorgeous. It was perfect for an outdoor pit experience. Uh, they had these two adorable little test boxes. And um, everything else was the same as it ever was inside at Norwalk Havoc. Uh, just, you know, no, no live audience. Um, and I got there... To meet everybody, I met Austin, who was the event organizer, as well as like all of his kind of crew of helpers. Uh, they have a really professional like streaming setup there. It's really well done. Um, and the box itself is great. Um, it was this lovely, freshly painted plywood floor when I first got there. And I was like, well, that's not going to last very long. There were 86 or 87 robots signed up for the event. Um, wow. And 51 of them showed up. Wow. Um, which means that we had about 101 fights 
<laughs> it's like it's like if you compressed the entire BattleBot season into a single day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one hundred and one fights, and uh, the fights started a little after eleven, and went on until about twelve fifteen a.m. Wow. So what what is that like? Nine or ten fights every hour? Yeah. Yeah, wow. it was, uh, and some of them would go faster than others because obviously, if it was a fight where one of these three pound bots would just wreck the floor, you know, then you had to get in there and do, and they had to have these, um, these two 20 minute break sessions where they just went in and bondoed the entire floor. I mean, essentially, the entire floor got a coat of bondo on it. Um, and bondo, for those that don't know, is like a car repair kind of epoxy material that you can use to fill in uh, big dents and cracks and whatnot in a car. They use that on the plywood. They hot mixed it so it would dry really fast, uh, which meant that the arena stank um, really bad after those breaks. But they have that negative air pressure system in there, so it sucked that out pretty quickly, actually. So after like the first fight, that, that smell was pretty well gone. Um, that, I got to say, as far as Beetleweight events go, this was by far the best organized one that I have been to. Um, they did a great job kind of pushing everything through. There was some like, uh, issues at the end of the day because the team behind explosion slash droopy, which were two of the most successful bots in the tournament. That's Tommy Wong's team. Um, they were having a hard time keeping their bots together, um, for the last couple of fights. Right. So like they made a silly mistake at one point where they were putting the cover back on droopy and they accidentally snipped one of the wires, like pinched it in the cover of the bot. So they had to, um, you know, they only had 20 minutes to get to the box before they forfeited and they were putting the cover on five minutes before they had to be back. And then they realized they snipped this wire and they had to like get in there and basically rewire that section of the bot. So they didn't make it. They actually got, um, they, they got disqualified from that match. Hmm. And they, luckily they were still in the fight with their other robots. So, um, Austin, the event organizer actually gave them the chance to use either robot for their next fight. He was like, all right, whichever one you want to advance in the tournament. Um, which was a really cool thing to do, actually, like a really like nice way to kind of handle that situation because, you know, they made that mistake because they were tired. They'd been fighting all day. It was uh, like 11.45 p.m. at that point when they made this mistake. Um, but, yeah, it was fun. I had a good time. I did not know that I would be judging when I got there. So um, that was a bit of a surprise, and I wasn't quite prepared for it mentally. Um but other than that, I had a really nice time. Oh, and I would like to formally make an apology to, um, well, to Rival, the team behind Rival. Um, so I, Kurtz Robotics, um, Mr. Kurtz, I apologize. I said that your bot was a a former or an old version of Lynx that got sold to you. I, they are very similar looking robots, but I was mistaken. That is not what Rival is. Rival is a fresh, new, shiny design, individual design from uh, Mr. Kurtz. And uh, they did really well. They got, I think, third place in this tournament. Um, totally dominant robot. Really well driven and really well built. Uh, did a fantastic job. Um, and Lynx got first place. I mean, obviously, that's the new meta kind of for three pounds three pound robots. Um, both drivers were fantastic. Uh, the fight with 
the two of them against each other was amazing. Probably the best fight in the entire tournament, and there were a lot of good fights. That's um, yeah, absolutely. So many good builders in there. I mean, to the point where, you know, Shredit Bro was really the underdog in this tournament, and that's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. You know, Shredit Bro is a very dominant um, three-pound robot, and it, it was cool to see them kind of struggle to even make it into the top four in this tournament. Um, as as you reflect on the fifty one bots that you saw uh, last weekend, was there a standout? Something that you saw that was like, "Wow, this is really cool to see in person." Um, you know, this this build is is immaculate or interesting, something unique. Um, so many. First of all, um, the choose most one, unique, Kyle. The most unique bot at this tournament by far. Um, now I would, I would like to say Droopy cause Droopy is amazing and Droopy is meta, but there has been lots spoken about Droopy and, uh, I, I don't need to go too far into Droopy. The most amazing bot at this tournament by far was Shrekking Ball. Okay. Shrekking Ball was literally a ball, literally a ball of, um, 3d printed plastic with a blade coming out of the center axis of it. And it rolled of its own accord with basically a weighted base that would move around in the bottom of it. Kind of like how BB-8 moves around, right? The, yeah. the droid from Star Wars. Yeah. And Shrekking Ball would roll up on its opponents, and you could not say that it had a vertical spinner or a horizontal spinner, because depending on how it rolled up on you, it could have a diagonal spinner, um, which was amazing, right? right? Like, really, really cool design, really interesting bot. Glowed this really, like, eerie green... Um, the people that fought it really did not know what to do. And there was a Droopy versus Shrekking Ball fight that was just ungodly cool. Wow. So, yes, Shrekking I, uh, Ball, really amazing bot. I really think that they they missed an opportunity there with, with Shrekking Ball. Um, it, it definitely, I think, embodies the name War Cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, that's what we should call our robot. That's great. Mm. <laughs> uh, we we uh, didn't watch the whole live stream uh, until later, and we we caught that um, fight between Shrekking Ball and Droopy, and it was it was so cool. It was like Droopy is so destructive, but it just couldn't it couldn't like find a, an area on Shrekking Ball to really like seek its. <laughs> teeth into. it was it's it's interesting it looked like it, it in the fight box was uh a a very sinister cabbage versus a three pound pile of of deli ham <laughs> yeah and the face on droopy really does like kind of go with how it moves you know because it just kind of like slowly walks around the box you know it just like boom boom it it really does look like this just uh disaffected not really interested in what it's doing you know like kind of bot like one um, of those I, fish like one of the like kind of like the droopy looking uh, yes yes yeah, just like uh i'm here but i don't want to be i guess, I guess i'll fight this other bot now um but droopy gets these hits that are like what the heck was that but yeah, you're right. It couldn't even get a bite on Trekking Ball because, you know, it, Trekking Ball would take the hit and just kind of roll away and then roll back at you. It was great. Such a fun tournament. Um, lots of really cool builders. I got to work with Brandon um, 
who was a former champion, right? And uh, he's made it into the finals. So it was really interesting to kind of hear his perspective as we were announcing, um, talking about what bots he would be facing going into the finals. Because the finals is in December, and that is for the big, the big one. Like That's why this tournament was so huge. December is the finals. This was the last chance to qualify for it. And the total prize for the three-pound tournament is $10,000 if you win in December. That is incredible. Incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was I was going to ask about the uh, the prize money um, because we also heard this week that uh, they are opening up a new competition next year um, for thirty pounders, where the grand prize is going to be fifteen thousand dollars, which that is, is enough money to probably get every thirty pounder in America to come out and at least compete. Um, and the idea that we may see a regular cadence, maybe one every other month, uh, 30 pound full combat event is pretty amazing and cool. Yeah, no, it's going to be really intense. And what's really kind of crazy is, um, you know, thirties haven't had a place to play outside of Motorama in a while. Yeah. So there's really not, a ton of improvement in the 30 pound division because there's really only been that kind of one chance to go out and, and flex those muscles. So I feel like this competition is really going to like make people invest in their 30 pound robots or build new 30 pound robots going forward. I'm super excited to see what they come up with. 30 pounds is like the, the beginning of real physics or heavyweight physics in battle bots. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, 30-pound robots behave very similarly to 250-pound robots in every way. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's lots of examples of heavyweight builders who started at Motorama with an experimental design. Um, you know, Jonathan Schultz and Huge, they built smaller versions of Huge before building the big one. Um, and I think it's going to be really cool to see perhaps the earliest inklings of of maybe a new meta, you know, happening um, and watching that live um, because it's just so much easier to experiment with a 30 pounder. Um, and, you know, this huge prize pool, I think is going to um, attract a, a lot of builders from across the country. Um, you were, you were saying that Austin's interest in kind of capitalizing on streaming. So getting into uh, getting into like the kind of Twitch, Twitch demographic to watch live robot fighting. Yeah, Austin, I mean, we only were able to talk briefly. It was a pretty whirlwind of a day, but um, his his theory on it, and I'd love to have him on the show to talk about it, um, is that, you know, this uh, streaming audience would love robot combat. A streaming audience would love robot combat at any weight, and he feels like if he can build an audience for this online that has nothing to do with... Um, it feels if you can build an audience online that has nothing to do with the BattleBots community, that's just people that find this like they would find a video game streamer on Twitch, um, then that's how you can really build this brand and really make this a sustaining business model, which I think is a great idea. I mean, honestly, we know that there's a bunch of people who would love this sport out there. And people who are into live streaming, into like Twitch streaming and stuff like that, that's exactly the audience you need to be going after. So I think he's got a very valid point there. Um, so I'm excited to see kind of where he goes with that. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can, maybe we can build something for, uh, for the 2021 Norwalk Havoc season. I feel like, I uh, 
I don't know. The amount of money that's uh, being dangled out there is uh, too great for me to uh, walk away. <laughs> I mean, you, you, everybody tells you if you're looking to make money, uh, robot combat is not the sport to do it. So, you know, the dangling is nice, but let's get in it for the fun. Time for this week's combat robotics news. I have seven news items for you today. First up, season five of BattleBots premieres next week on Thursday, December 3rd. If you haven't done so already, pause this podcast and set your DVR to record the new season on the Discovery Channel. If you don't have cable or need to figure out how to watch the season live, it's previously been available to stream on Amazon with new episodes being posted there within hours of the episode airing on TV. So far, we haven't seen a listing yet for Amazon, but we'll keep our eye out. BattleBot says the decision to put the show on streaming services like Amazon will ultimately be up to the Discovery Channel. If you live outside the U.S. and can't figure out how to VPN spoof your way into Amazon streaming, it'll be available worldwide at some point through NBC Universal. Meanwhile, BattleBots kicked off its Black Friday sale early, promising discounts of up to 80% on select merch. I ran the numbers and found the deepest discounts were on BattleBots branded t-shirts and posters from the 2018 and 2019 seasons. Normal price, $25 this week, $5 each. Bonus, BattleBots supporters on Facebook were given secret coupons this week to get even deeper discounts. So one more reason to sign up and give our favorite TV show five bucks a month. Speaking of things for sale, Parts of Reality and All of Chuck are both on the auction block. As you'll recall, Reality was a drum spinner from the Netherlands that competed on the 2018 season of BattleBots, where it went two and two. On Tuesday, the team sold Reality's rear wheel for $46. There's still time to buy one of Reality's weapon discs in an auction that ends early Friday on eBay. In 2020, reality builder Tim Bowens had planned to bring a new drum spinner to the competition called Ominous that featured an interesting triangle shape with three omnidirectional wheels. Separately, Beta team member Gabe Stroud is selling Chuck, a hard-hitting flipper bot based on a similar design that competed on Seasons 1 and 1.5 of King of Bots as Tanshi. In Season 1.5, Tanshi fought all the way to the grand finale, where it ultimately lost to Dave Moulds and Tungsten. Gabe built a version of Tanchi called Chuck that competed on the UK live scene and is selling the entire bot for quite possibly the best deal of the year, 6,000 pounds. The package includes two complete chassis, three sets of armor, motors, speed controllers, even the transmitter. Reach out to Gabe on Facebook if you're interested. On over to the team behind Hijinx, which released new details about their very wide neon owl-inspired undercutter which clocks in at a staggering four and a half feet wide. The team built five separate tails for the robot in two basic configurations, a horizontal configuration with a ground scraping wedge and a vertical configuration with an articulated wedgelet. The team writes, quote, in all caps, tune in to see if they worked as intended, winky face. Separately, team captain Jen Herkenroder is a very talented welder and detailed the process of welding the bot's very long metal plates, which look smooth on the outside, but require thick beads of material on the inside for toughness. And finally, we want to wrap up the news with two charity contests from Robot Wars Shunt Posting and a group where we pretend to be the BattleBots live audience. The contest from Robot Wars Shunt Posting will feature stickers and clothing from most of the teams that competed at 2020 BattleBots, who sent the ultimate prize pack to Nelly the Ellibot Captain Sarah Malian, who wasn't able to attend this year due to COVID travel restrictions. 
to enter, draw a picture of your favorite BattleBot, donate to the Trussell Trust, and send both to one of the group's moderators. Entries close on December 21st. Separately, a group where we pretend to be the BattleBots live audience is running a charity contest for the UK's National Autistic Society. To enter, make an audience sign for your favorite BattleBot, donate to the National Autistic Society, take a picture with your sign, and send it to the group. Check out links to both contests in this week's show notes. Before we get into part two of our interview with Pete Abramson, let's go through our latest installment of the new bot preview. First off, I want to issue a correction. Last week, I got it very wrong in our new bot preview around Wisconsin-based Grabot. In that segment, I speculated that Grabot's hands were designed to hold various weapons in battle. That is incorrect. Grabot Captain Ben Davidson listens to the show, hello Ben, and sent me videos of his bot in action and a detailed description of how it works. The bot is fully invertible with two hydraulic grappling hands that are designed for articulated motion capable of lifting 250 pounds. The hands are also outfitted with interchangeable weapons. In test videos, Ben showed off a saw blade configuration with saws attached to the sides of Grabot's hands. He writes, quote, the claws are spring closed. The grip comes from the mirror motion of the arms. This bot design is not only new to BattleBots, it is new to robotics. The function of the arms will be useful for many applications and industries, and I have a provisional patent on it. I made a BattleBot to show off the tech and to cross off the biggest line on my bucket list. Very interesting design. Really looking forward to seeing it live in the BattleBox. Uh, if you'd like to watch Grabot's videos yourself, I encourage you to check them out on www.grabot.tech. All right, let's head over to Staten Island, New York to talk Pain Train. We had Pain Train Captain Evan Arias and team member Anthony D'Ambrosio on the show a couple weeks back. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I'd encourage you to do so. Uh, the big takeaway, the thing that floored me was that Evan has this, mo this incredible story. Uh, literally this time last year, he was flipping through the channels and he saw BattleBots. He was a fan when he was a kid, but he saw it as an adult and decided on the spot that he wanted to get into combat robotics literally a year ago. So within just a couple of weeks, he built Shredded Bro, a tough little beetle weight that he took to every major combat robotics competition at the end of 2019, competing at Norwalk Havoc, Mass Destruction, Sword, and Mortarama, taking home first place in Mass Destruction and two first place finishes in Norwalk. BattleBots reached out as part of a late wave of entries and gave Evan about a month to build Pain Train. The bot is a fully invertible egg beater slash drum hybrid with ground scraping forks and protected wheels. The design looks a little like Shredder Bro, and if this bot can replicate its smaller siblings' reliability, we could see a very effective rookie. Thoughts on Pain Train? I love Pain Train. I think it's beautiful. Um, I really liked that team at Norwalk. Also, their team jackets, really cool. Rival the Hypershock team jackets by far. No, they don't rival. Really? Hypershock yeah, is like, sweet. really? Okay. All right. Yeah, they look like biker jackets. Like they show up, they, like when they rolled into Norwalk Havoc, they looked like a biker gang rolling in with their like um, padded cases full of robots. It was pretty sweet. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, seeing Shredder Bro, um, you know, like we, we saw Shredder Bro at Motorama, obviously, but you saw Shredder Bro like three days ago. Um, you know, thoughts on that design? And, and do you see parallels between Shredder Bro and kind of this this larger robot that, uh, that Evan brought to, to BattleBots? 
I mean, in the sense that they're both vertical spinners. Um, Evans driving is the real, like, Shredder Pro hits and keeps on hitting. It's a pretty reliable robot, and if they can get any of that into Pain Train, then good for them. Uh, but it's Evans driving that really uh, puts that robot ahead of everybody else. I mean, he mm. is so aggressive. He does not quit. In other moments where, you know, people would get that big hit and then kind of re-angle themselves and get into a good position for the next encounter, Evan's already on your face. Like, he's already chewing away at your robot. Um, he's a very aggressive driver. That was probably the most impressive thing to see at Norwalk was just how much he was relentless. Speaking of good drivers, let's talk Perfect Phoenix, driven by 11-year-old RoboGames champion Tyler Wynn. Tyler is an incredibly talented insect weight driver who goes by the name Doom Kid, famous for his bots Lieutenant Doom, Captain Doom, and Commander Doom. He took Captain Doom to BuggleBot Series 1, where he went 5-1 and one and took home third place, even beating eventual champion K2. In the off-season, he and his mom Julie approached Bikeforce Captain Paul Ventimiglia about buying Paul's 2009 Giant Nut Winner Brutality, a 220-pound overhead bar spinner. Paul sold them the bot, and they took it a couple hours east to Ray Billings, who refurbished the bot when he wasn't working on Tombstone. The result is a refreshed but basically unchanged brutality entering the battle box. During the 2020 season, Ray did double duty, working in the pits on both Tombstone and Perfect Phoenix. Two big unknowns. Will Tyler be able to translate his incredible beetleweight driving skills to a heavyweight? And is brutality still competitive in the year 2020? Your thoughts on Perfect Phoenix. I think Tyler's driving skills will translate to any weight class. I think that Brutality would be able to survive just fine in modern BattleBots. I don't think that that would be an issue. I really think, just based on our interview with Ray, that the biggest issue this bot's going to have is the fact that there's only one of them and that they're not rolling in with mm. a million spares. Yeah. You're not concerned about it being um, dozens of pounds underweight? I mean, lots of bots are dozens of pounds underweight. Um, yeah. You know, like uh, Death Roll, dozens of pounds underweight. Top four robot. That, that's when it's on an empty stomach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it needs to be that much underweight because it's eating other bots. Yeah, I, I heard that they cut it open and uh, they found like parts of a car and... Uh... <laughs> you know, a hiker's boot <laughs> ominously. Um, Perfect Phoenix, I, you know, we, we've said this before, but it's going to like this driver, this bot is going to be a major storyline, I, I believe. You know, um, it's pretty compelling to see an 11 year old driving a battle bot um, because I feel like it's, it's kind of wish fulfillment for so many other 11 year olds who are watching the show. Um, and I hope that they get more into his story about how. He was able to get into the the, the sports, um, and I really hope that he's able to encourage other kids um, who love BattleBots to uh, to 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 also start building Beetleweights, driving Beetleweights, um, and uh, yeah, maybe maybe see like a, a new new wave of young builders. All right, let's head over to Florida to talk Rampage. This is a boxy vertical disc spinner from the Knox family, Milena. George, and their five kids, Daniel, Devin, Christian, Curtis, and Ethan. The Noxes are fixtures on the Florida combat robotics circuit who have collectively built a dozen bots between them, two fairy weights, 
three ant weights, three beetle weights, a 15 pounder, and now two heavyweights. We met the family last year at Robot Ruckus, where they competed with their heavyweight wedge bot, Yugo Nowhere. They're entering BattleBots this year with Rampage, a two-wheeled vertical disc spinner with lots of right angles. On their team page, they note that the only thing designing CAD on their robot is its disc. Thoughts on this garage build from Florida. I'm uh, I'm a big fan of the um, the spatula defense. Okay. Uh, this thing, it, it it literally has four spatulas on the front. I think it would make an amazing short order cook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's, well, it's interesting because, like, you know, some of the triangular um, wedgelets that you see on the front of a lot of bots are susceptible to, you know, horizontal attacks, and that kind of takes uh the design that design element out of the equation uh by having these kind of like these four plates uh that ride the ground in front so it's still it'll still give them the scooping action that they would potentially need but um it's not really susceptible to a horizontal attack which is which is kind of interesting i'd like to see how that plays out the thing that i like about this this family and this team is that this is kind of their their big hobby that they do together they are building robots, fighting robots, driving robots. Uh, they, all of them, <laughs> all seven drive robots. So there's always a, uh, an opponent to find inside of the house if you want to, to get some practice in. Um, so I, I, I think that they have the experience under their belts. They crisscross Florida um, multiple times a year to compete with their many bots. Um, so this is definitely not a team to rule out. Um, and this, this is a garage build that I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to, to seeing inside of the box. They have yeah. a three pound full combat box right in back of their house. I didn't know this really. Yeah. So when we were doing the like bots that don't compete on battle bots, but we're going to be at robot ruckus kind of interviews. This was one of the teams that I interviewed. And one of the things they told me was they built you know, like two years ago, they built a, a three pound box um, for their house and they literally will like rush to get their homework done um, before dinner. So they have time to go fight each other in that box and they will destroy each other and then have to fix their robots the next day before they can fight again. So they're these kids know how to spool motors. I mean, and when I say kids, I mean, literally kids, these like high school and middle school kids know how to spool their own motors and like build build their robots down to the most intimate details. These kids are going to do well at this competition. I think a lot better than uh, for how amateurish their bot looks. I'm such a sucker for family teams. And so just uh, inherently, I want to root for them. I mean, I, I think that story you told Kyle is, is so endearing and it's so wonderful and uh, you know, I hope it, it inspires other families out there, no matter how young your kids are or how much experience you have. I mean, it, it seems like this is something that if you have the interest and the passion, you can jump in and, and, and you know, adopt this as a family hobby. And I mean, what better way to, to spend time together? I just I just think it's so cool. They are so cool. I mean, it was so nice talking to them. They're just the sweetest people. I, I'm going to be rooting for the Noxes this year, 100%. Speaking of garage builds, let's all take a moment to celebrate the God King, a robot whose name strikes fear in the hearts of mortals and machines alike, 2020 giant nut winner and presumptive 2021 champion, Rusty. 
Totally fair. Keep hitting it. We are going to lose every single listener. (laughs) We had Rusty Captain David Eaton on the show a couple weeks back. Dave is charming and interesting, and Rusty's story could very well make for its own plucky children's book. Dave spent years working on Rusty, which was originally invited to an earlier season of BattleBots, which he couldn't make. He was invited this year as an alternate, and Dave rushed to get Rusty in fighting shape in the month before filming was set to begin. The result is an anthropomorphic hammerbot on tank treads that's outfitted with either an air hammer or a sledgehammer. In our interview with David, he said something that's given me pause, and I've actually thought about it a lot. Um, He said that he specifically built Rusty to be as tough as robotically possible, and yes, it's capable of self-writing. What do you think about the internet's favorite BattleBot? I've uh, I've given it some more thought, and now I think I understand uh, where else... I, I, I kind of envision Rusty coming from. Okay. If there was in, in the Cars universe, if there was a uh, like a bomb disposal unit from a small town, that's mm. Rusty. Yeah, yeah. His cute little face. It's it what it's it's what it's what does it for me. You know, if he didn't have that face or that salad bowl mixing head, you know, who knows what what we think about Rusty, but. His little face, you know. That's want to hug him. That salad bowl. I mean, forget COVID. Forget everything that's happened this year. That salad bowl is the most iconic image, the most iconic moment of 2020 for me. Yeah, we uh, we uh, we definitely we we voted out a, a one-term president, but you know, Rusty. <laughs> it's above that, you know, for sure. Carol Baskin's husband is inside Rusty. <laughs> I mean, what can you say about this? It's it's everybody's favorite bot for a good reason. Uh, I just, uh, man, I you know, I can't wait. What what bot uh, do you want to see Rusty fight most? Tombstone. Oh, Tombstone! Ouch. I want Rusty to break Tombstone's blade and to ascend to to his rightful place. You know, in the the, the pantheon of of Hall of Fame robots, all right? You know, like, I, I we're, we're using, like, a lot of uh, hyperbole, or at least I am, but I really do, I, I love this robot so much because I, I just feel like it embodies so many attributes that I love about BattleBots, like this, this kind of can-do attitude, this feeling like I'm going to go outside and I'm going to start bending mailboxes and, and, and mixing bowls and pieces of metal that were left on my parents' farm. And I'm going to build something tough and I'm going to do it and bring it to the competition and live my dream. Like that is so cool. And I just, I just, I love, I love this robot for that. Uh, What are the chances that in Farouk's first uh, introduction for the bot, he makes a tetanus joke? (laughs) A hundred percent. hundred percent And finally, let's wrap up this segment with Slamo, built by veteran builder and friend of the pod, Craig Danby. Slamo is a brand new grappler bot that we saw in action last year at Robot Ruckus, where it went deep into the competition with the bot's suplexing action, picking up robots with ease and slamming them on their heads. Craig has been building robots with his brother, Chris, since the late 1990s. 
and they estimate they've now built well over 100 robots to date, competing on Robot Wars, King of Bots, Clash Bots, the UK live scene, and BattleBots. In 2018, Craig brought the grappler bot Predator to BattleBots, and last year appeared at the competition with the lifter bot Foxtrot. Neither bot advanced very far in the competition, going 1-2 and 0-2, and and respectively. This year, Craig hopes to shake off that record with a new and improved lifter in Slamo, which has dozens of configurations for every possible opponent, plus a special configuration designed specifically for Chomp. Thoughts on Slamo? Slamo is awesome. I mean, it's a bot that's already been proven to work uh, really well, and he's made a lot of improvements to it since then. Um, as Craig said when he was on our show, which by the way was a great episode if you want to go back and listen to it, you know, Craig's Craig's history in combat robotics has always been experimentation. Yeah. I'm going to try to make this really cool motor that's very hard to work with work for this application. And Slamo is literally just the opposite of that. These things work, this system works, these motors work, these gear ratios work. I'm going with that, and I'm going to put this robot out here, and it's going to do well. Um, and I'm really excited to see it. You know, the, the Craig and the Danbys in general have not had the easiest time with televised robotics competitions, uh, so I really hope they get to turn that all around this year. Some comedy gold in the, uh, the, the BattleBots.com synopsis of Slamo. Craig Danby might also moonlight as a as a comedian. Uh, uh, he lists his job as science Viking. He has twenty plus years of competing. His favorite tool is Randy from the team, Randy <laughs> Farmer. And Craig Danby lists as as his favorite uh, favorite robot of all time, Paul Ventimiglia. I've I've always suspected. <laughs> You know, but we we didn't have evidence. But uh, now I, I guess I guess we've had confirmation from a fellow builder that uh, Paul Ventimiglia is in fact mechanical. You know, Paul Ventimiglia and Data from Star Trek do have some similarities. Now that you mention it, you know, you've never seen Paul Ventimiglia and Data from Star Trek in the same room. Just saying. It was Paul's birthday a couple of days ago, so happy belated birthday to uh, everyone's favorite robot slash human, Paul Ventimiglia. I yeah, happy you got, uh, you got built today, Day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's interesting is um, I, I always thought it was strange that the very first time that we interviewed Paul Ventimiglia, his entire face fell off, revealing just a complex network of, of intricate circuitry. And then he quickly he quickly put his face back on, and then he, you know, he got right back to normal. It, it just it never sat well with me. <laughs> Uh, back to Slamo. I, I think the thing I really like about this robot, besides that, you know, it it's very tough and it was working in great condition at Robot Ruckus, is that a grappler bot's pretty difficult to plan for. You know, like robots are not designed to be dropped on their heads over and over and over again. And if Slamo can survive um, spinners coming up into its face, trying to knock things loose, if if Slamo can can kind of if if, if it's able to really get a good good grip on its opponent and slam it, um, I think we're going to see some really cool hits. Um, hopefully, bots bouncing around the box. Um, you know, like we 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 could see some really amazing television from from this robot. Honestly, um, 
Slamma was my favorite bot to watch at Robot Ruckus, so I think it's going to make for really mm-hmm. good TV. Mm-hmm. And and I think it'll prove that you don't have to have a fast spinner on your robot to be good television. And that's it for this week's news and new bot preview. After the break, part two of our interview with the Bot Whisperer, Pete Abramson. We're gonna we're gonna jump into some listener questions from all those fans out there. Uh, yep. So uh, please uh, bear with us if there was any repeat questions that we might have already covered, but um, you know people love to hear their names, so we'll get into <laughs> it. Uh, the first set of questions that we have is from Alexander Archer, uh, who really kicks it off with a really hard question: How difficult was was it for you guys uh, to film this season despite COVID nineteen pandemic? So. It's what's amazing, you know, like I said earlier, I had some serious trepidations about doing this project. Like, had it not been Greg and Trey, if this would have just been, let's say it was another robot television show, and they called me up and said, we want to hire you, I would have said no, because of COVID. I just did not really want to be in that situation. But Troy, our... Uh, executive in charge of production, the amount of work that went on behind the scenes to utilize the building. So first of all, you know, we had that giant, I don't know what, what I think it is, a 400 square foot building. <laughs> like, I mean, it's the best building for this. Huge ceilings, large open space to be able to sort of put the event on. Because the big deal, we, you know, COVID is really the most dangerous is it's airborne and that's you needed clean air and we need good air circulation one of the things that they discovered within the building is because they used to build c boeing used to build c-17s in this building back in the day they had a fire exhaust system in case something happened during a build never used it up on the roof for these giant boxes full of fans that never got used and could exhaust all the air and bring it through the building and up and out the ceiling. And so they contacted one of the original, like this old guy who had installed that in the building and was in charge of managing that at the building to help them restart those and get those running so that we could have some of the best airflow in any side of any building in any situation for dealing with COVID. we had very strict guidelines in how we spaced the teams out, in mask wearing. I mean, yes, on camera, you will see us without masks. That is, we have shields between us, but when the camera is not on, the mask is on. Um, the masks were, you know, a, within a team, you could have four people that obviously they're all together, so they don't, they've become a pod they can easily be without masks amongst themselves, but there was a big plexiglass separation between them and the other team. There wasn't interaction when people were maskless with other people that were maskless, that were not directly, um, that weren't already sort of potted together. That was sort of a key thing. And we were getting tested, like I was getting tested daily. It was, it was, I heard from that unions 
in Hollywood had said that the manual that we had produced for how this was going to happen was the best one they had seen on any stage anywhere. Like it was the most inclusive and the most rigorous about how they were going to handle dealing with multiple people. I mean, we had, you know, you got 400 people in that space. How do we deal with it? And just an exemplary job of dealing with the COVID. Like, it really impressed me on how good it was handled. That's so, really interesting. I really, I really enjoyed the anecdote about the about the building too. Um, I guess you could say that the uh, the longevity of the production of BattleBots is because you have such big fans. <laughs> but up, uh, ladies and gentlemen, he'll be here all week. Please tip your waitresses. Try the veal. Um, Yes, because we have big fans. Uh, maybe we could change the intro to I like big fans that I cannot lie. Um, I think we just named the episode. <laughs> Good. There you go. Perfect. It'll go right there with the new uh, I like big bots. Um, we'll, we'll get to Alexander's uh, oh, part two of his question. We had no audience. Oh, that yeah. was a big deal. Was how are we going to do this with no audience? Because like spiritually for the builders like this is a big part of competing is having people to cheer how is that going to work like to keep your energy high as a builder and to sort of be on for television without that audience kind of like cheering you we were really worried we did create what we call the opera boxes which teams could all be within an opera box and isolated from other teams and get to watch the events. So there was an audience and the audience was your fellow builders. So that it's was very cool. it's very, the COVID cool. answers. I hope all the COVID questions. Yeah, Alex, completely off topic. Alex has another question. Uh, whatever happened to Ronin after the original series of BattleBots ended? So Ronin did get used in multiple television shows, um, but I basically like my, I think I fried my electronics and I was doing like Satraki and I were on this AMC control card running 144 DC volts, uh, which for the, you know, the electrical engineers out there knows pretty crazy um, through our robots. And eventually I blew up my cards and I just did not feel like rebuilding and, you know, Ronin's too heavy. Ronin was a super heavyweight. Uh, it it just wasn't worth it to rebuild and make it into a new battle bot. And besides, Jerome with Red Devil built Ronin in a better way than I ever felt I could have built Ronin. Like he just did a cleaner job because he did, he had CNC. I didn't have CNC. I did Ronin fully manual. Um, so got made better by somebody else that there is no need for Ronin to come back out again. Ronin can sit on, it sits at applied invention on its cart, you know, with a little sign that says watch BattleBots at 8 PM on December three on it. You know, that's that kind of thing. It can be used as memes. It can be used as, you know, whatever you want. It's an important job. Someone has yeah. to do it. If it ever comes back and fights, it's going to be against blacksmith because Al and I have been wanting that fight forever, but that's, I just don't feel I'll ever get there again. Mm. 
Uh, Alex would also like to know and get confirmation exactly how many episodes are there this season and how long will they be? Oh, there is 20 episodes and there are two hour long episodes. So there is going to be a lot of fights. Um, we do not have a Desperado this year because we, we had such a compressed schedule due to COVID. We were trying to cram everything within two weeks that we basically, instead of doing the Desperado, we did a tier of 32 and started the bracket at 32 and worked its way down. Mm. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, you sure it was here first? I think it's actually somewhere else too, but Greg said I could say that. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, All right. Uh, Alex also wants to know, are Bronco and Senawayachi really competing this season or are they just there for exhibition matches? They're competing. Ooh, you heard it here first, folks. They're, they are out there to fight. Uh, and last question from Alex. Did Tortozoid and Double Jeopardy really drop out of the competition at the very last minute? Um, I know. I don't know about Tortozoid. I, I know that Double Jeopardy dropped out not at the like, not a, a day before, but uh, a couple weeks out, I think. It, but I could be wrong. I would have to go back and look. I wasn't involved in that phone conversation that was between Evan and Greg. Mm -hmm. so. All right. I have a question here from Jesse Mollen who asks, were you also involved in the early stages of the show's planning by picking interesting designs to be on the show? Or did you help clarify what did and did not qualify for a Walker bonus? Uh, <laughs> yes. And yes. And, and lastly, scrutineering. Scrutineering. Like, what does he mean by scrutineering? I, I think that's the science of scrutiny. Okay. Uh, yes, I am that too. Um, I so because of my involvement early on, almost always, you know, like I've I've been a part of the rules. Uh, I've been a part of safety. I've been uh, definitely a part of selecting robots and we had lots of discussions on how do we define a walker? What is a walker? And that, you know, that's, it kind of comes through myself and Greg and Trey about if somebody says, this is my submission to what I believe a walker is, we will give the yay or the yay about if we think that is truly a walker. Because I have my own opinions, they have their own opinions, you know, everybody's got an opinion what they believe walk cycles are. And, you know, I, I think of a walker as Mechadon or the new chomp. Those are walkers. Gearcrow, you know, even though that's never competed, that's a walker. It's not a shuffle bot kind of thing. I see. That, yeah, that's what I was going to ask as a follow-up is what would, what would be some of those other opinions? You know, uh, walk cycles that are like mechanical linkage circular basically the leg is pretty much tra uh translating in just sort of a, a circle uh, it, like think about like the big wheel on a tr on an old steam engine train and it's got the one piston rod that's coming off of it and it's sort of moving back and forth well that translation of the linear motion out of the piston is sort of what people will use as to make a leg, right? Or like a wind-up toy. To me, that isn't 
walking. I want to see multiple points of articulation in one leg so that you have to walk, basically. You know, you have to really think about how you're going to program and how you're going to control this thing. Uh, a hexapod, any sort of like of the, the little robot hexapods you can buy online, those are real walkers because they're multiple joints um, acting in concert together, but they're all independently controlled. And, you know, my opinions of walking. I got a question from Tom Brisbane who asks, what are your best tips for an aspiring bot builder based on your experience? Best tips are to go to smaller events, to build for like an ant weight or a flea weight or a beetle weight competition and go and compete in a couple of those. Meet other builders, start a friendship, start a conversation. You will learn so much from the community itself. That is the best place. Probably, I mean, like whether it's the Facebook thing or most people have web pages with sort of how to's, these are, you, you can never discount experience. Like these people have been in the arena and have made robots that have failed or have succeeded and have learned and are willing to share that knowledge. Like it, it's the old soothsayer sitting around the fire telling the story of the tribe. Like this, that is what these other builders bring to a table that for a new builder, that is what they should be capitalizing on is those relationships and learning about how they, what other people made mistakes or how they succeeded. Mm. That's a great answer. All right. I have a question from Daniel Tuffin who asks, which robot from the original BattleBots days do you think would stand a chance in today's competition? Ugh, I've been mulling this over. <laughs> I try, I'm like trying to think of who would really be survivable in this thing. I think um, probably Xander and Reason's earlier Toros, those might make it. Uh, I, I know a lot of people want to say Biohazard, but I don't think Biohazard's going to survive the high kinetic energy weapons. Um, maybe Mechavore, like one of the first undercutters ever made. Uh, that was a pretty durable bot. Um, Vlad, if it had a weapon on it, that was another really durable one. Um, oh, Hazard. Hazard, which was like the first bar spinner. That was a pretty amazing robot. Did really well in its early days. Those would be about the few robots, I would say. Many of these things, though, when I look back on what we were doing, you know, I mean, would not survive in this modern world. Like, it's another reason why I don't think I would compete again is the level at which these competitors are competing at is so high. They have pushed it so far that, you know, it's like, oh, do you, I go and I bike every weekend. I think I'll go do the Tour de France, right? <laughs> Like, no, you won't. Um, because that's the level that these guys are at. And it is amazing to sort of see where the sport has evolved to. And So it was almost like, uh, it reminds me uh, of a circumstance where like power hitters in baseball from like the 1940s 
would be advertising cigarettes and you know like <laughs> would be like drinking a bottle of absinthe before they got out on the field and then they right. have to stand up to a modern day like 104 mile an hour fastball um, right it's it's kind of it's kind of uh it's apples and oranges when you really compare uh you know battlebots circa 90s versus now yeah i mean it would think of like let's take like f1 racing if you went back to the 40s and grabbed one of those cars and then had it go against a modern f1 car it would be lapped in the first lap right it would not make it around the track before it probably got passed by the other other car because you think so without the airbags it would go a lot faster (laughs) (laughs) so that's you know uh it, that's kind of our technology was nowhere near as advanced. I mean, the energy that comes out of battery packs these days and the quality of speed control or the actual variety of speed controller vendors that are out there is so massive. And the motor selection, I mean, we only had like two different speed controllers that anybody was ever using. Everybody was using gel cells, or maybe they moved to NICAD packs or nickel metal hydride. Um, And, uh, you know, all the motors were coming out of NPC, or maybe somebody had something special. But compared to what's going on now, and the amount of energy that's in a standard LiPo pack that can be delivered to some of these unbelievable brushless motors it's uh, yeah it's more than apples and oranges it's like apples and a rake (laughs) like it's it's so different now it's so much better Mm -hmm. all right so actually i have a follow-up question to this last one from uh, america's sweetheart and rusty captain david eaton dave is my new hero by the way (laughs) I gush about him on the show, so <laughs> go ahead. Uh, uh, David was uh, inspired by Daniel's question and spurred this one. If you could pick a matchup, which two bots would you like to see duke it out and why? No bots barred. If I could pick a matchup. Hmm. They're, like, bots are getting so good. Actually, uh, hmm. I would definitely like to see like rotator versus a hammer Uh, could be pretty much any hammer. That would be awesome to watch. Uh, Or even like rotator against saw blades. That would be great. Um, I would watch whiplash against anything. I love watching whiplash. Uh, Whiplash is just, I don't know if you remember last season, that they fought Son of Waiachi. And he, uh, one of the things is he went in there and when one of the armor panels on the front got ripped off, Matthew adjusted his driving to present the opposite side of the armor. Right. To like, It was just exquisite. Like, it was just one of those moments of just joy to be watching of like, these guys are like so on and so keyed in to knowing what their robot can do that that's, you know, like I would watch whiplash fight anything at this point, because it's just so much fun to watch him drive. Will, I love watching like hypershock would be great against who would be good against the sort of got the upwards spinning, like double disc. I mean, like hypershock and 
and Witch Doctor would be fun because they're very similar, but their driving styles and attitudes of how they approach it are very different. Um, who, what else would I love to see? Uh, you know, I love, I would love to see any full body spinner against a really good, like, like overhaul. Overhaul is an amazing grappler bot, and I'd love to see Overhaul sort of grab hold of a big spinning thing and try to lift it and flip it with it, you know, whatever, whether it's uh, Megabyte or whether it's uh, Captain Shredderator trying to roll themselves out of the out of the bite. Like those would sort of be some of my favorite fights, or two walkers of any kind. Ooh, full walkers is what I really want. Everything you just rattled off sound like sounds like it would make a very good pay-per-view event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would. And actually, I'd like to see Rusty fight anything too, because I think he could. I uh, Rusty really just won our hearts. I mean, Dave. Yeah. Dave is so funny. Like Dave's interviews are so good. He is a natural on camera. Like he was so enjoyable to hang around with and have on on the set. Yeah. It's a, even though the season hasn't aired yet, Rusty certainly has already won the battle for the hearts and minds. <laughs> oh, completely. Yeah, I know. I mean, Rusty just became this, it's funny for people that aren't even there. We're already chant. I could see on the internet chanting Rusty. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was great. Uh. All right. I have a question here from Mario cast who asks, Pete, if you were building a battle bot in 2021, what type of bot would you design and build and why? Given the new type of components that are available nowadays versus in the early days of bot building. It was funny. It was something that uh, Satraki and I always used to joke about back in the day is someday we're going to show up with an all plywood robot. <laughs> because it's so the antithesis of what everybody else is doing. Um, but... Uh, what would I make? I would, you know, is I would be torn again because part of me is I'm not interested in building the perfect wedge and or the perfect spinning weapon. I want something that everybody remembers as how it visually looks. So I probably wouldn't have a winning robot. I would probably go with treads again because i love them even though they're a huge waste of energy they're a huge, they weigh a lot and they're not the most the traction wise especially in the battle box is not that great um but i just love the way they look and i love the way they feel when you drive on them so i'd probably build a treaded robot with something on it i don't know what it would be i have had toyed with the idea of if i ever brought ronin back that I would remove the horizontal spinning disc weapon that I have um, and basically make some kind of Son of Waiachi cage that comes up and over and gives me a big full body spinner, but without it, but like a Son of Waiachi, sort of just a three-part cage as opposed to a, a dome or a, a disc. I don't know. Uh, I don't really look at robots anymore and think about what would I build. Um, I now look at robots and go, huh, that would make good TV. Okay. I like that. Oh, that robot's got a great look to it and a great shape. Um, you know, this may not work for them, but this might really help. Yeah. 
It's a natural segue to a question from Lucas Grell, who asks, what's your favorite type of BattleBot design, weapon and drive type, or maybe style of building that you think is cool? Walkers, of course. <laughs> like Walkers is just the ultimate end-all, be-all um, for this sport. But, uh, of course, like I said, I love treads. Um, but I love robots with, if they have more than four wheels. I love it when they're like six or or something weird or crazy. I've one of the big influences on me as a kid was I used to watch a lot of the Jerry Anderson shows like Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet and Stingray, Fireball XL5. That all of these vehicles were just covered in wheels. Like he would have these giant monstrosities that all had a billion wheels on them. And all my Lego, when I used to build them as kids, always had to have a hundred wheels wherever possible uh, because of that. And so I love robots that have more wheels than they actually need, but I mainly just from a visual aspect. Uh, I would love to see more hammers um, or I'd love to see more robots that are taking advantage of things and adding more modularity or being a a multi-function robot as opposed to the single purpose i love it when like donald does a great job of kind of being able to skirt a line between whether he's got a disc in there or the drum and his forks and what forks get chosen and the fact that they used to articulate these kind of things make me really happy like or like whiplash which has a lifter with a weapon in the lifter it's not the most efficient weapon uh that can you know it's not like it's a tombstone um but it still does damage and he can lift a robot with the front flipper he can also swing it over behind himself and push himself off a of thing like it's just a it's such a versatile robot and i love that that's the kind of thing that's always excites me. But, you know, mm -hmm. I also have a huge place in my heart for a robot like Blacksmith that when Al first showed me the drawings of what he was going to propose, when he said, there's going to be flame coming out the end of the hammer. Like, how, how much more excited can you get? Like, I mean, that was just like, mm -hmm. this is going to be the greatest thing I've ever seen on television is this thing's going to have a hammer with flame out of it. Like, that's... Uh, sorry, I'm geeking out and gushing here. They say Al Kindle's heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> it did, actually. And then it shrunk again. Um, but uh... <laughs> All right, I got a question here from Jackpot team member Shay Waffles Johns asks, what makes a bot stand out to you before seeing it in action? P.S. Thanks for being awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should thank them for, for showing up with a great robot. Like I can't believe what those guys did with on such a low budget. It blew my mind on how good their robot turned out to be. Um, so I always, you know, things that I look for crucially in my early selection stuff is, is the wiring diagram of anything more than a crayon drawing? Like, can, can this person build a robot? And if I feel my, my initial things, when I look at the CAD drawings or I look at their, you know, just design drawings by hand, pencil. Um, but if they have a, 
if they have a concept and an actual layout of like, this is how a wiring diagram works, I give a lot of leeway to say, okay, they've got this part, they understand. Now, what is the shape that they're going to put this form? You know, they've got the function. What is the shape they're going to do this in? And, you know, whenever somebody says, oh, we're going to have a drone and I'm going to put a drill on it and we're going to fly it in and land on the other robot and drill, drill. That's when I usually go, yeah, right. Okay, this person doesn't truly grasp what we're doing here. So I'll move on from this robot. But when they've, you know, I, we've seen enough vertical spinners. We've seen a lot of horizontals. I then start to look at the shapes they're creating with the rest of their robot. How sculptural is it? Like, how is this going to look on television? I mean, one of the things that Will always does with Hypershock is Hypershock is just this beautiful robot when it shows up and rolls out in the arena. I mean, it looks like a Hot Wheel out there with a weapon on it. Like, it is so shiny and uh, it's got such great, you know, it's like when, it's like a cartoon when somebody smiles and there's a little ding comes off the tooth. It's like that, like that's what Hypershock always does. And that's the kind of thing I'm looking for is, do they have a visual presence? Will it be able to make people, like make it stand out so that it isn't just a hunk of aluminum? That, it, that we're, we're seeing a thing that was carried through from just function into form. Mm. Does, that, does that sound somewhat intelligent? <laughs> It was a wonderful poetic answer, Pete. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> All right. I got a two-parter here uh, from lucky team member Andrew Burgraff, who asks, do you feel some of the early season's top bots are really falling behind some of the new teams with much less experience? And then the follow-up is, who do you think will be the 2021 season six champ? Hmm. I don't feel that some, I mean, there are some of the top bots that are having lulls. Like you can't stand on the podium forever. Like that's, we, we know that, but that doesn't mean it won't switch off. That doesn't mean that they won't be able to pull it together. Cause maybe just something happened in that one fight that that's why they lost. And somebody you know, some of the new bots are good, but many times it's how much stick time they've had in the arena that defines who wins that fight. Um, the There might be a heavier hitting bot, new bot that might, you know, from a new team, but they may not have the hours of time spent in the arena fighting other robots that some of the other vets have. And they, they, the vet may not have a robot that hits as hard as that other one, but they're definitely leaning on their experience and their ability to drive and their ability to sort of read the situation um, and make adjustments as things change within the arena itself. Because that's the, that is like the key to be able to win the battle is being adaptive. Because you may lose a wheel. Well, can you drive on three? like, or drive on one, if it's a two-wheeled robot. Like, what is, I don't think, in my opinion, that the older bots are going away because of a new wave. I think that there is a, 
there might be a low for a bot here and there, and then somebody comes back. I, I it won't be a you know one person standing on the podium for the next seven years. I don't think. I think there's too much chaos that happens inside that box to allow one person to continuously win every single time for for up to like seven years or so. Um, now the other question, huh? Who do I think will be on the podium in 2021? Um, you know, I, I could easily see Witch Doctor on that podium. I could easily see Ray on that podium. I can easily see, um, God, sorry, sorry. Um, I could see Rotator on that podium. Um, I could see Valkyrie on that podium. I could see Endgame on that podium. I could see, um, you know, if Will were to get his together, I could see Will get it on the podium. Um, I, possibly even Gruff, one of the most durable, abuse-taking robots I've ever seen could possibly make that. Uh, who else? Oh, Hydra. Hydra could probably make it to that podium. Um, like going through my head of like all the bots I remember. We're going to need a bigger podium. Yeah, I know. Um, but uh, of course in Whiplash too. Did I say Whiplash? Whiplash should be on that podium. Um, because of things are so chaotic in the arena, there could be something that like you've prepped and prepared for but one thing happens that is just like you get into a corner, you get hit by a hammer, you get the perfect, like your wedgelet gets caught under the screw just long enough for somebody to come and hit you with their weapon. Like, I mean, there is so much variation. There's so many variables that happen in that box that you can't calculate it all. Uh, and survive it all because things will happen i mean the one person who's been on the podium the most paul his big law his only loss was to chomp with the hammer in to his chain like it was the one weak spot right so this you know it's like it's it's so difficult to sort of say oh this one person is going all the way when like even though they're doing great there can be just that one thing of chaos that one catch of a wedge that lifts their tire up that allows the opponent to get to them you know it it's such a there is a lot of rolling of d20s in that arena to like, randomize your your chances of winning D and D reference for the non D and D players, by oh, the way. Yeah. <laughs> Let's roll for initiative. Exactly. Exactly. Plus three on critical hits. Okay, so uh, go ahead. Next question. All right, I got a series of questions from Big Dill team member Brandon Bennett Young, who first asks, "What is your opinion on the meta shifting through the years?" and uh, the second part is, do you see a new meta on the horizon? So here, here I'm going to wax philosophically. Uh, one of my big things that I've always said for many years is about robot Darwinism. And the fact that we have 
created a niche that the robots themselves have evolved to such perfect adaptivity to that for us to see a new meta, we need to change the environment. And usually that means no flat floor. That's like the first place that you could, if you were to, in my fantasy world, we would have a varied shape floor so that wedges leave the equation and people start to have to think about suspensions and have to think about how do you shift your weight from one thing to another. And that would evolve the sport into other things. And maybe having a non-flat floor or a, you know, a, a humped type floor that now walkers could really come in and start to, to change everything. Uh, that's, I think we are at this perfect pinnacle of like some thinking of some weird bird species on an island with the, the exact right length of snout to get into a flower. Like that is sort of how we've evolved into right now with our robots is these discs and these spinners and some of the lifting is like so tightly refined that we're not, I don't think we're going to see much radical changes within the world of combat robotics. Unless a bunch of builders choose, I'm never doing vertical discs again, we're moving on and we're going to make this style of robot and whatever that might be. Uh, but if they want to win, you kind of got to be within the rock, paper, scissors category. Like you, you, you have to be in this spinner flipper wedge type space to be able to sort of be competitive. BattleBots 2022, 12 inches of beach sand. Is Fuck the yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That would make a very interesting event. <laughs> Bring an umbrella and some sunblock. It's yeah, robot well, well, time. We just, you know, what we do is we get a quarry, and uh, an abandoned quarry, and we put the stands up above the wall, and we just put the robots down at the bottom. And they have to just drive and fight. Put builders in a couple of, like, special stanchion boxes that little towers so they can look down at their robots and those are completely boxed in but everything else that happens is open that way you can have it all in the dirt and on rocks and having to deal with crazy stuff that you know of the environment we have to change the environment it sounds like you've already given a lot of thought to this yeah i think i have a powerpoint presentation on the future of robot combat that i gave it Dragon Con once, so yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Can you give us another taste besides the quarry? I, I'm loving the quarry. Give us one more. <laughs> well, I love the idea of out in the desert too, just on the playa, but that makes it very difficult to sort of uh, how do you protect your your builders and your drivers. Um, but I, I think the quarry is probably the safest place to be able to do one of those kind of things because you got all the rock walls. And robots can ping against that, but and rocks may fall, but that just becomes part of the hazard now in the arena. It's perfect. I think the quarry is the I best thought, place. I always thought it'd be a great idea to just put the entire audience and, and everybody inside of a box, and then everything else is happening outside the box. Exactly. That's the other sort of way. Like if you did it in the quarry or out in the desert, you would kind of do that and let the event sort of happen around the thing. Except for I would not want to be in a plexiglass box in the desert. Let me just put you down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, we have the last part of 
this question here from Brandon, which is, which robots had the most fun names for you this season? Obviously, besides the Big Dill. <laughs> uh, there's a new robot called Axolotl that was definitely an amusing thing to roll off the tongue. Um, what other uh, what other bots were of the names were definitely. I'd have to go back and look at all the robots. There was there was some there was for sure some fun that Chris and Kenny have with a few of the names, and you'll just have to watch. Big Dill was for sure because everywhere we we could, there would try to be a pun, right? You know, wherever you could make a a joke about a pickle, like oh man, this he's in a pickle for this one, or boy, I, I'd hate to put that in a jar, or you know, whatever you could about big deal it offered itself up to making puns i am uh, i'm so excited to see what uh farouk does with with those intros farouk uh, that man is a just he is a gift to this sport it <laughs> is amazing to watch him i mean because he also you know he's a voice actor he does a lot of other work and he really knows his craft he to be able to sort of sit where I was, because I was, my seat is right next to um, one of the doors, right on the corner. And we put him out on this sort of large Diaz that the box is sort of in the background for him. So he's kind of isolated uh, to be able to give his thing. And we do the camera in front. Uh, so he isn't in the box anymore, uh, COVID reasons. And um, he, he so rarely makes a mistake in the delivery of some of those, which are crazy. Some of those are insane. Those I can't are hard. What they give him to read. And he does it with characters. He does it with voices. And yet every now and again, he steps on it and he's like, okay, I got to do that again. And he just does it a second time and it's perfect. Like it's, he is so good. It, I love having him on the show. He is so much fun to be around and he is so talented in his gift of what he does he he is just born for that that one like niche like that one role he was just born for it and i know he does a lot of other things too and he does them all really well but like this is this is like a, it couldn't be anyone but farouk i know i mean like that was what everybody always says like, <laughs> is, like what we we can't do this without farouk like we have to make sure we've got farouk like uh, screw chris <laughs> and kenny we just gotta make sure we got farouk <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have uh, a handful more questions. It looks like all of them, for the most part, come from um, builders. So oh, uh, these are all the joke questions, right? But yeah, these are all the joke <laughs> <Okay>. questions. <laughs> so uh, you know, uh, speaking of Nelly, the Elliebot captain Sarah Malian has a yes. three-part question. Uh, the first is, who sends you the best build reports with an angel emoji? Um, it's, well, let me let you guys in on something she did to me this year, which was <laughs> she sent me a build report. Like she was sending me build reports on Nelly while they were, she was trying to make sure she could make this happen. And she goes, here's a new video of Nelly. And I go click on it and she rickrolled me. No. Brilliantly. Like <laughs> the best. She, I, I 
I mean, I already loved her anyways. Like, Sarah is is so great. She is so sweet. She's so funny. I mean, shunt posting makes me laugh so hard all the time. And she has so much heart to be here and compete and to be part of this crazy-ass sport. And then to have got me that way was just brilliant. Like, it just, ugh. It, it warmed my heart. It was the, I laughed so hard for so long. <laughs> uh, um, but who actually sends me real build reports that are quite good. Victor is one of them who gives me really nice, when I call him or talk to him, good in-depth technical discussions about what he's doing and why he's trying what he's doing. I mean, he's, he's like, Victor's like the scientist in the, in the, BattleBots community of really working it through. Like he really wants his stuff to work perfectly every time and survive. And he has a great thought process behind what he does. So he always, I always love his build reports. All right. So next from Sarah is when are we going to start the BattleBots band? Well, when COVID's over. I mean, that's what I think I wrote back to her, but yeah, (laughs) hopefully when, uh, whenever we can not be living in a world of masks and we can have multiple people in a room, we would love to have the BattleBots band. I, I don't know if you guys know, but so I'm not a musician at all. And I've grown up with Mark Satrakian and Greg Munson, who are incredible musicians, unbelievable. Player. And Mark does keyboards and music that it, it's phenomenal what Mark's done. Well, 50th birthday about four years ago, I had asked them if we could do a band for my birthday and that I get to sing on. Not that I'm a singer. I'm horrible. <laughs> I'm not a musician. I don't have good rhythm. <laughs> like I'm not, But I am a showman. Um, so we formed the band Vulcan Death Grip. And since it was my 50th birthday, which was also the 50th birthday of Star Trek, it was a costume party in full Star Trek gear. So thing. we had Trey on uh, background vocals, Greg on lead guitar, another friend of ours, Cameron, on, um, on guitar, Paul Rivera, who was also part of Team Sinister. He was on keyboards, and Mark was sort of orchestrating keyboards as well as like all the sequencing and everything else. And I sang. And it was so much fun in my backyard. We had the best time ever that we discussed doing the band again um, and wanting to do it. Trey was like, I want to do the band, but let's do it at one of the BattleBots parties. So that's sort of the BattleBots band has kind of been what we've been talking about. Of course, we need to be able to have a party to do that. Yeah, that's the that's the, the trick there. But when it does happen, I hope that you live stream it because I know <laughs> a lot of people would be very interested in watching that. There is a video somewhere on Facebook of my of one of our songs. I think it was of Devo's "Girl You Want." Uh, most of our songs were fairly punk heavy because uh, that's sort of me, um, and that's about what I could sing at was kind of yelling more than anything else but uh it's not got great audio it's the audio of whatever the camera was um but uh there is somewhere there's a video of our band playing maybe i can dig it up and send you guys a link if you want to embarrass me 
excruciatingly. Ooh. So we can include that in the uh, in the show notes. <laughs> in the show notes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, last question from Sarah: Do you miss me? And are you still mad that I rickrolled you? <laughs> I always miss her. She's like I said, she makes me laugh, and shunt posting is something. I mean, I don't go to Facebook as much. I usually just let it go by, but I always check on Sarah shunt posting. That's like my favorite thing. <laughs> All right. So now we have a question here from Slamo team member Randy Farmer, who asks, when a builder tells you they just need 30 <laughs> minutes to be ready, how much time do you really do? Uh, how much time do you convert that to in your head? Like I, I sort of said earlier in the interview, I look at the robot and gauge how much i mean i have a good sense of how much time things take to how long it takes to take something apart and how to put it back together and to make sure it still works that generally if a builder says well the question should have actually been what a builder says to production 30 minutes versus <laughs> what they say to me because usually they don't lie to me i look at them and go that's not going to take that much that time it's going to take more and they all know that so nobody tries to snow me. That's the good part. <laughs> All right. So uh, hijinks captain Jen Herkenroder asks, what team pleasantly surprised you the most in recent years, either in design, execution, or in performance? Um, well, Jen certainly has. Like hijinks, I, I loved hijinks. Uh, that's such a, she came out strong and swinging. Um, but actually, what has really grown in my heart lately has been Scorpios. Like, when it Aww. first showed up, I kind of was like, okay, I'm not sure how much it's going to do. But what Zach and Diane have sort of, like, taken it to now has been amazing. They've really been pushing the edge with that. And on the same note, with a, another Sawbot taking Sawblaze, that, like is just exquisite to watch. I love what Jameson does now with Sawblaze. And I remember back when he first just had a dustpan and like I was a little upset with somebody showing up with a dustpan and fighting with that instead of fighting with a very active weapon. And Sawblaze has now become this juggernaut of a robot. And it's beautiful for one, like its look and its shape and its design and the way the saw goes back and makes contact with the ground so it doesn't wheelie and the flame, like it, saw blazes really warms me. Yeah, saw blaze is uh, uh, definitely one of my favorites, if, if not my favorite, if I can go be so bold as to say that I have a favorite. Um, yeah, I, I could never say that, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. I love so many bots. It's like so hard to say, this is my favorite robot ever. It's like, no, there's too many yeah. great robots. It's impossible. It's impossible. But it's actually a good segue because this next question is from none other than Sawblaze Captain Jameson Doe. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he wants to know which teams have the most elaborate strategies with a big smiley face. Um, actually, funny, going back to Scorpius, there's been, I remember when Zach first took over Scorpius and he came to me and he was like, so what's your plan? And I wish he had had like a whiteboard because he was basically <laughs> like, he had this whole like, okay, well, I mean, he was like watching the football drawing with the circles and the X's, right? Like, okay, we're going to make the short pass around here, run to this side. 
like he has it fully backed out and he doesn't like he plays chess he plays the game multiple steps ahead of his of his opponent that's what wow. he's for and so it's nice to sort of watch that um sometimes i think it's a little too elaborate i mean there's definitely times when people think they come in they're like oh this is what i'm gonna do and you're like you know you're fighting Ray, right? Like, I mean, all of that's <laughs> out the window as soon as he turns his weapon on. Like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to be able to come around. I'm going to get the back tire. I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> good try. <laughs> I'll see you in five minutes <laughs> when you're yeah. wheeling the robot, smoking out of the arena. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, Pain Train team member Anthony D'Ambrosio asks, was the bot shouter a scrapped first concept? <laughs> Uh, I think I responded to him that my voice is not properly trained like Farouk, so therefore I cannot <laughs> handle doing it for hours screaming. Um, it's funny. So the Bot Whisperer came about by, you know, I did my, we did my first season. I think I was credited in my IMDb page as like play-by-play -play producer or something like that. And then I don't remember if it was season two or season three. Um Chris, Aaron, Greg, and Trey, we were like, well, what do you want your credit to be? Because we need to give you a credit. And we had somewhere at some point in the control room, somebody had called me a bot whisperer. And uh, I said, I think we should go with the bot whisperer. And they all like screwed their faces up. Like, what do you mean? Why would you go with that? I'm like, I think this would be the right name for me. Because this is kind of what I do is like, I know all this shit and you guys don't in this way that because I'm so interconnected to this community. And they're like, uh, okay, we'll give that as a credit, sure. And they wrote it down. And now I've seen like, I remember seeing a thread, whether it was on Facebook or whatever, where somebody's saying, I was just watching the credits and I saw this name called The Bot Whisperer. Who is that? What is that? And Greg gave this great description of me and what I did. And then we just said, hey, this is what we should call you for season 2020. Like you are the bot whisperer. So let's make that the character. Let's make that who you are. That's beautiful. And I know, you know, a couple of years ago when I was watching with Chris, before we started the podcast, before anything, uh, we had noticed that. And uh, it really, it, it, it catches the attention. And I think it, um, it makes an impression, which is uh, <laughs> what you want. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, it's been many, many years in the making, I think, to, to get to be able to be called that. So that was, <laughs> it, it felt right. So, All right. So now we have some questions from America's other sweetheart, blacksmith captain Al Kindle. Yay! There was much rejoicing. Yes. <laughs> so his first question is, who are the most reliable teams that make you require fewer antacids? <laughs> Victor with Rotator and Al with Blacksmith. Those are two team, or well, Wyachi and also Ray. Ray is just always ready. He is just even if his, even if Tombstone took a beating, he's got it back together. Like you know, Rick goes and rewelds the frame, and boom, it's up. Like there are a couple of people that I never have to go ask, "How are you doing?" It isn't like I have to go ask Will. Will. Why is the robot broken down to its frame? You know you're <laughs> fighting today. 
I love Will to death. Like he is the love of my life, the bane of my existence because he's the greatest thing on camera. I love watching Will. I love watching his robot fight. But he gives me, as Al says, I need the most antacids because I come back in in the mornings and there will be a stripped robot in just a frame sitting <laughs> on his table. And I was like, you have a fight today. What is it? What are you doing? Ah, I didn't really like this thing. I need to fix this. And so I felt it was better if I just took it all the way down. I'm like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> no! uh, Whiplash is another one that does not give me problems with ass. They, I... One of the reasons why Matthew drives as well as he does is he has so much confidence in that his robot is going to work. And that's due to his dad and, you know, like Jason, all of them together working on that bot to make sure it's going to work perfectly every time. So we have a little bit of repartee now in, in Al Kindle's uh, comment section. <laughs> <laughs> there was a follow-up uh, to, to his question from Ka Kraken Captain Matt Spurk, who said, what is it about Kraken that makes it so reliable? To uh, uh, which Al Kindle responded, does Kraken really smell like dead fish? Um, so due to COVID and wearing the mask, I couldn't actually smell the fishy smell that I smelled the year before with Kraken. <laughs> they, they weren't allowed to actually import the dead fish from Florida to California this time. But uh, Kraken is built like a brick. Kraken is just a solid block. And that's what I think makes Kraken so reliable and why it can keep driving after taking a beating. I love Kraken. Oh, Matt's, Matt's enthusiasm is just so infectious and so wonderful. You could, like, if we were to open with the fight cards of going, okay, Matt, your first fight is Tombstone, your next fight is uh, Son of Oyachi, and then you're going to fight uh, Rotator, and then you're going to fight um, Valkyrie. Like, I'm trying to think of every heavy hitter. Um, yeah. Like, every single, like, super hitter, Matt would be like, okay. I'm ready. <laughs> There's no questions for him about getting in there and fighting. He just wants to get in there and do it. And that uh, is what I love about him. It's what makes it so much fun to have him there in the pits and to have him there on the stage. I love that. Um, so you already touched on this a little bit, but I, I do want to make sure that I ask this question uh, from Hypershock Captain Will <laughs> <laughs> And he wants to know, Who's the bane of your existence and who's the love of your life? Uh, as I, as I just said earlier, <laughs> he is, he is, he is. If you could just see right now, if I could have animated little like hearts come out of my eyes and then little daggers shoot out of them right afterwards, you know, that's, that's my feelings of will why I love him so much. That's hilarious. <laughs> All he, right. So it blows me away. He is so good on a microphone and in front of camera. Like he is so comfortable and so natural. It, it's a joy to have him on a television screen. That's one of the main things I love about him. So we have a uh, question here from fellow podcaster, Matt Hedger, who co-hosts the combat robotics podcast, My Girlfriend Doesn't Like Robots. And he- <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I have not heard this podcast yet. I think I now have to go listen to this podcast because that's a great title. It is a very good title. <laughs> and uh, he has a cheeky question. 
Uh, have you listened to the My Girlfriend Doesn't Like Robots podcast? Seeing as you like to post on my Instagram page about it. I'll have to go back and look and see what I did. Maybe I must have liked something that he posted, but uh, I haven't listened to the podcast, but I am now. Second. He might want to change the thing. It could, like, after you've been in robot combat long enough, I think it should change the podcast title to I Lost My Girlfriend to a Combat Robot. Oh, no. <laughs> Not that she got eaten by the combat robot, by the fact that she left because you had more love for the combat robot. Oh. That's the problem. <laughs> Chris and I both took that a, a very different way. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, so we're gonna. You could uh, take a dark. I like that. That's funny. The darkness yes. works. <laughs> um, we are going to wrap up here with um some questions from BattleBot Superfan and honorary Sporkanuck team member Mary Catherine Carr. Uh, she uh, always likes to submit some uh, deeply philosophical questions, <laughs> <laughs> and today is no exception. So. Her first question is, what is the most challenging part of translating the technical jargon into more accessible information? Well, on a physical level, not having marbles in my mouth, not stepping on my tongue, and not brain farting at the end of like when I'm giving a little piece of dialogue. Those are crucial. And I do that quite often, actually. I usually ended up starting with when Chris and Kenny would go to me and I'd have this great start and I'd be at about like 15 seconds in and then I would either just mush something or I would completely lose my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's on a pure technical level. But, uh, you know, something that happened with this show that really was amazing for me was, you know, I mean, I've, I've puppeteered. I'm a SAG performer. Um, I've been on a lot of sets and, you know, I've been around a lot of actors. So I'm, I'm kind of an actor unto myself, if you could call it that. Uh, but uh, so I was asking, what did they want from me? Like, what do you guys want me to do? How do you want, do you want a character? And one of the things that kept coming back at me was their notes were, you just need to be you. I want to see you speak in a language that I don't understand because you are letting me into this world. I'm getting to peer through a window into this world that you have been so deeply entrenched in that you're giving us these brief moments of what it looks like to be inside. And so I just ended up being me on the screen. Like everything, there's a moment you guys are going to see that where at the end of a fight, there's a couple times they started going to me at the end of fights also. They started asking me about judges' decisions before the judges' decision would happen, like what my opinion would be. Um, and so Chris and Kenny would throw to me and I would give some little piece of dialogue that I thought was important. And there was a moment that Chris goes, turns back to camera and goes, you know that was a good fight by how much Peter was gesturing. <laughs> so <laughs> you'll see my <laughs> hands. Like one of the things that I do is I gesture a lot. My hands are always on the screen. <laughs> I'm always moving them. So that was what he was making jokes about. That's awesome. 
Um, so uh, she says, I don't think the tip typical fan knows a lot about the BattleBots team that makes the show happen. So what secrets can you share with us about your fellow showrunners and hosts? Um, that we're all pretty much nerds and love what we do. Uh, that, you know, I mean, like Greg and Trey, this passion for the, I mean, it's, you know, this is their life work. This is, this is their career and everything that they've done has culminated into making this show. And that passion is so clearly obvious in the way that we do the show. And then Aaron Catwing is just, I mean, he's, he's a numbers guy and he's a sports guy, but he sees BattleBots in that same way. And he is a full-on geek for it. Oh my God, does he love it. He gets so giddy when he sees certain robots come up and roll onto screen. Um, you know, it's, it is, it's so much fun when the control room erupts at the end of a fight. You can hear everybody applaud because of whatever happened in the fight. Because everybody's like that enamored by what they're witnessing. You know, it's when you watch the, it's kind of like in soccer, when you get the guy going, goal, for three minutes long, or <laughs> when the play-by-play -play commentator for a football um, game and somebody runs a, a touchback, you know, or a, they run back the ball for 99 yards, and it's screaming as this person is running down the thing because the play-by-play -play commentator is so excited. That's what goes on in the control room. These people get just as excited by what they're witnessing on screen. It isn't just a job of go to camera B, give me camera A, camera C, camera B. Okay, cam cut back to B, cut back to... It isn't just that. They are definitely nerds for this event, too. That's awesome. Um, all right, so uh, two more here. Greg has mentioned wanting BattleBots to someday to go on the road. What do you envision for the future? Um, I would, I mean, the road, I, I immediately sort of turn into the engineer who throws rocks at glass houses. I just see the expense of what it takes to be able to move that box and set that box up um, as a budgetary thing, like how difficult that would be. But BattleBots, like in a permanent installation, that would be the ultimate goal in my mind. That would be so great is to be able to have a place where whether it's, monthly or you know people could go see maybe weekly or something they could go see a bunch of fights and you could have regionals and all that sort of culminate to oh all of these amateurs got to go into the pro-am and now they're actually going to fight fight for us right you know that would be i would love to see that kind of thing i would love to sort of see that the ultimate goal in my mind would be that builders are able to turn this into a career and it pays for their livelihood as opposed to being the deficit that it still is on everybody. I mean, there's some people that are making enough money to just, you know, fund their, their lives and their robots, but I'd like to see it on a much bigger scale where, you know, you have Lewis Hamilton who drives F1 and that's all he does. 
He drives Formula One race cars. That's his career. I would like to see bot builders not have to have a day job, but go work on robots. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting concept and something that I know a, a lot of people would love to see. And and uh, not only just like the monetary aspect of it, but but also being able to go on a monthly basis and see a robot show or on a weekly basis and and you know like make a trip out of it and go see where it's it's done wherever the show would be and. Um, I just think I think that that would be so so popular, um, and give us something to do in the off season. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe we could go on the road and do it like, uh, um, what if like BattleBots did like a three month residency? So they would be in Atlanta, and people could go fight more often and get more stick time in the arena, and then you could get a couple of high ranking bots out of that. And then you could go do it in New York and you could do it in Vegas and we could do it in Seattle and like do these three month register rather than we go in and we only can do it for two weeks. Like that's just, it's not valuable enough. I mean, hopefully if we could get enough big enough pool of robots across the country that we could go to places and have enough robots to be able to compete multiple days out of a week um, and be able to have a bunch of fights and show off. And whether that's fully filmed like we do the Discovery show or whether that's a lighter camera crew, I don't know. But it would be awesome to be able to sort of have this sort of traveling show over a longer period of time. I'm going to just dream that until it becomes a reality. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, So last question here from Mary. Finally, do you need an apprentice asking for a friend? (laughs) Asking for a friend. (laughs) <laughs> asking totally for myself i love these yeah. builders and would adore getting to whisper sweet nothings to their robots which is what i believe your true role is <laughs> oh um no actually maybe i could use a an apprentice actually at this point i did feel like i ran around a lot i think uh if i look at my pedometer on my phone that i was doing over five miles a day in the building just being in the building that's how much i was working so it would be great to have like one person who could be out there getting that data for me that i wouldn't have to walk as much as i did because that was a big building so she could send me my her resume so uh pete generally i I retired this a while ago but i think i'm gonna resurrect it uh it generally, I, I used to end uh, our, our our segments and our interviews by asking a really smart person a really dumb question, and so this is how I'm going to close this out. And I was inspired by our our little uh, our Dungeons and Dragons uh, spat that we just had a few moments ago. And so here's here's the challenge. Ready? I'm going to a dwarven cleric. Sorry. <laughs> Jumping the gun. Go ahead. Actually, it's actually pretty close. It's actually pretty close. Uh, my, my, what I was gonna have you do is I'm gonna name a battle bot, and then I want you to name what class it would be, and then oh. for extra flavor, you can name what race it would be. And oh, my example yes. was that blacksmith is a hill <laughs> but it could have been a cleric. Yeah. With because, a little angle you know, around. I mean, a cleric doesn't mean that you're all not all clerics are like lawfully good many clerics you know they may worship some chaos gods or you know if you're a cleric let's say you worship thor that's gonna 
you're going to want to smash somebody with a flaming hammer because that's okay. <laughs> that's absolutely true. Okay, so let's run through a couple of these for fun. Ready? Okay. All right, Gruff. Uh, gruff. Okay, Gruff is a half-orc warrior. That's good. That's actually great. Resilient, tough. Yeah. Can he eat high, things? High constitution. Can just take a beating, but doesn't look the most prettiest. Has some scars. Has some scars. All right. Witch doctor. Ooh. Witch doctor. I'm going to say witch doctor is actually a high level magic user. That makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. Rusty. So Rusty actually has a backstory. Rusty was like, he tried to be a paladin and he failed at the class and was kicked out of the, of the training in the castle and had to go sort of find armor on his own. Um, the dragon burned his armor and melted it down and sort of now it's all rusted looking, but he's there to try to do good but he just took a beating. That's Rusty as a, as a D and D character. Whiplash. Whiplash. Whiplash is definitely a rogue for sure. I mean, he's, he's for sure a thief. Um, he's so quick and can easily perfect thing. Since he can flip the flipper all the way over behind him with the weapon, he can backstab done rogue. Oh my God. You are, you're nailing all of these, dude. <laughs> Tombstone. Like, dude, I am a 54-year-old nerd. What the <laughs> do you expect? <laughs> I love Star Wars and Star Trek. I have a collection of comic books. My art is building Lego. And I go and I do BattleBots. Like, what the hell <laughs> Of course I play D&D and Car Wars and, and other board games. So, yeah. Tombstone. Tombstone. Tombstone is definitely the barbarian warrior. The big sort of just doesn't have a bunch of armor, kind of has the fur looking thing. He's kind of looks like He-Man, but has the biggest double bladed axe two handed that he just swings and clobbers things with. Very low intellect, right, Pete? Doesn't have to have a great intellect, but has an amazing <laughs> dexterity and great constitution and, you know, an 18 double zero strength. We'll do two more. Bite force. Bite force. Okay. Now, so bite force is bite force is kind of a multi-class. I think bite force has got like the the constitution and the durability of a really good cleric to be able to sort of like heal himself, but he also hits with as hard as a fighter and he uses a cutting weapon all right last but not least chomp 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 is chomp is dragonborn oh chomp, chomp is a dragonborn for sure um you know it's got the ability to to fly once in a while uh can swing uses a big thunder hammer um and spits flame when need be how nerdy was that, huh? Uh, if I had three uh, 10 signs to hold up, I would do it. Uh, <laughs> no, they, no, if you have three of anything, it's got to be three six-sided dice, right? No, that's a good point. You crit. 
You crit. You, you, ended the, you ended the conversation with a crit. And Pete, we thank you so much for talking with us. This Guys, is, this was so much fun. It really, really was. Thank you for letting me ramble for two hours and 15 minutes. Because you guys barely spoke. I feel like I've just been yada, 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 yada. So well, thank you. We're, we'd love to have you on again sometime. And we're really looking forward to seeing BattleBots return on December 3rd. Yes, December 3rd, uh, 8 p.m. Discovery. We'll see you there, folks. Definitely. And I'll come back anytime you want me. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to sunny Southern California, where a startup called Bobachino is building fully automated robot kiosks that make boba tea 24 hours a day. The Bobachino kiosk measures 16 square feet and includes big windows where people can watch a six-axis robotic arm build and seal a customized boba drink within a few seconds. The idea is to roll out robotic boba machines at high traffic areas across the U.S., especially to parts of the Midwest that don't have a lot of boba cafes just yet. The startup is raising $3 million on an equity crowdfunding site, so hopefully we will be seeing the boba chino at a Midwestern uh, kiosk near you. <laughs> I think it's a huge missed opportunity. They could have called it Robo Bobo. <laughs> <laughs> Why, who wants to go to Bobachino? I want to go to Robo Bobo. <laughs> That's fine. Um, you know, like a six axis robotic arm is pretty expensive. So uh, this sounds right up the alley for uh, Silicon Valley. Just give me a real moonshot. Let me <laughs> let me build these kiosks at a million dollars each, and uh, hopefully I'll sell, you know, a quarter million bobas in the a month. Or something, you know? My favorite part of getting boba is watching the shakers that they have right now where you just put all the uh, ingredients into the cup and then it shakes it for you for uh, for a minute or so. So, I mean, just multiply that out by a six-axis robot arm that does everything else. Hmm. You're in for a show. There's a lot of joy in, in robotic food. Um, as somebody who feels a little awkward whenever I, or I order food from humans, you know, the idea that I might be able to boss around a six axis robotic arm instead, uh, you know, fills, fills me with joy. <laughs> Mecha Karen. That's, that's Robo Bobo's arch enemy. <laughs> Mecha, Mecha Karen. This does not please Mecha Karen. The startup is raising $3 million on an equity crowdfunding site. And that first $3 million I'd imagine is for this, for the very first one. I have no idea. No clue. Yeah, but they're 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 raising money from the crowd, uh, basically. Yeah. So if you if you want a little slice of Robo Bobo, aka Bobochino, go look up the website. Or we just create our own called Robo Bobo. We find a way to do it for two million. <laughs> That's a deal. <laughs> yeah, for for one million dollars, I will dress up as Robo Bobo and just make it the old fashioned way. <laughs> I will not sleep. I will go 24 hours a day. 
Uh, is that going to be our, our BattleBots bot name? Robobobo? Yeah. Did we just figure it out? Maybe it shoots Boba Balls. Ooh. There's no way that's allowed in, like, any competition. <laughs> Kyle! Always naysaying! <laughs> I'll go back to my tower. Ugh. Well, that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday, if that's okay with Kyle, with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bots launching Boba Balls. Ha, 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 ha.